Um, how's it going? Thanks for uh, jumping on here with me. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed your film. Yeah. And um, and I want to say congrats because uh, hey. whatever, whatever aside, I I would think that like having the first film distributed by whoever is pretty cool. You know what I mean? Like, cause it looks like they're going to keep doing films. Yeah. Yours will always be like, this is the first one they did. Yeah. Um, I noticed that. Uh, and even that can be a little dicey too about being the first uh, years ago. I, I did a feature that was the first on a Michael Eisner had this little company called Vuguru and it just, I was like, great. We're the first one out of the gate, but it just, they didn't know what they were doing and they never really got it happening. You know? So luckily the, uh, the guys over at Daily Wire, you know, seem to, they just, they hit it so hard. And it's been, it's been such a good feeling to have anyone out there throwing punches on the movie's behalf. You know, just like, yeah, yeah. And there's been strange things like uh, for a while, Google took off the, if you're a Google user, you couldn't even rate the movie, even though when it first launched, you could, then it went away for a while. And they kind of made a few calls and it came back a couple weeks later. So I'm like, you know, it's just, it was a Is that strange. true? I didn't know that. What you, you couldn't rate the movie where? Uh, you know how when you look at any movie on Google, it says Google users, uh, it's like a thumbs up or thumbs down as far as Google users are concerned. So. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. They took it down? That's yeah. insane. And that, went, that was there. It went away for a while. I don't know. I don't know if I believe the whole shadow banning thing, but it was pretty strange <laughs> just to have it gone for a while. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I, it's what's... Yeah. What's strange about and, and really scary about cancel culture or whatever you want to call it is just how brazen people are. I mean, I interviewed Dallas, you know, last week about it and just how like Disney, you know, they're in their right as a corporation, I guess, to sort of hold people up to whatever standards. But I'm just like them just being like, you're, you're gone, you're done forever and no more action figures and stuff. It's, you know, and for Google yeah. to just be like, well, you can't rate this movie. Um, no, no, no. That's terrifying. Um, you seem to be in the first of everything, weren't you? You were on the first uh, Project Greenlight. Is that correct? Uh, the second second oh. year. Yeah. Oh, that's right. They made a horror. Was it the horror movie was the first one? And then Battle? No, horror, horror was actually the third. They did um, Stolen Summer. Yeah, yeah. I'm completely forgetting that one. <laughs> I remember <laughs> Battle for Shaker Heights because my friend's band is on the soundtrack. No, what is your friend's band? 84 Nash. Oh. And what's like the song? A, it's called False Start, and it's like, um, what's the scene? It's like a party scene of some sorts. I wonder if I oh, have I need it. To... Let me see if I have it. I'd love to know that, because I think we, we, we chose all that stuff. Yeah, it's like a one-minute song. Let me see if I oh. can sh share this. might want to turn your... Whoops. Yeah. Whoa, awesome. shit. Okay. Still learning all the uh, kinks here. Yeah. Um, that's so cool. That's a great record. It's called Secret Reward by 84 Nash. If people can find it, I think they printed 100 of them. And what are they on to now, those guys? Um, uh, two of them actually have a band now called Connections. Mm. 
that I've done a few music videos for. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, it's sort of, again, kind of gritty pop rock. Yeah, they're, they're good. Yeah. The lead singer is named Kevin, and Andy is the guitar player, and they, they were in both. Very, very talented guys. Um, but, you know, they're just kind of Midwestern guys with regular jobs. I think one's a school teacher, and, you know, they just happen, awesome. to, ha- happen to write, like, pop hits. It's, it's weird. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, so, uh, Run, Hide, Fight. Yeah. Been a little bit of conversation around this movie. It's pretty fun. Um, yes. uh, before we get into all that, like, what was the sort of genesis of this movie? I mean, it, uh, there, you know, the, I heard somebody say it's like Die Hard in a school shooting, but like, when did it like pop into your head? And initially, were you like, oh, maybe should I do this or should I follow this? this inspiration. No, that was exactly how I was. Uh, I first thought of it maybe eight years ago and I mentioned it to my wife. Um, and she thought that's really cool. And she, to her credit, wasn't scared by it. Uh, mm-hmm. I was a bit scared of it just cause I was like, uh, I don't know. Um, and maybe daunted by it. Just I'm daunted by everything I write. Cause I'm like, ah, oh, that sounds like so much to get mm-hmm. that right. You know, it's all execution. It would, it'd have to be done so uh, respectfully and interestingly and uh but yeah and then yeah like any good spouse like as 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 the years went on and i kept mentioning it she was like you keep mentioning this you, you just gotta try it so um i finally did and so i finally finished it in the spring of uh 2017 okay um, how many drafts did you end up going through to kind of fine-tune it um i kind of tuned as i went um I mean, I would say I didn't do too many drafts, but it took me a long, it took me three months to get the first draft kind of thing Mm -hmm. to really pour over it, I guess. And then uh, my wife had a lot of thoughts and my manager had some thoughts. Um, But I was, I was real pleased with it uh, from the get go. And then, and then that's right. That's right around when uh, the shooting in Las Vegas happened. Uh, and so my manager was like, Hey, let's just not show this to anybody. And I was like, yes, of course, please just out of deference for the victims. Let's not do anything. Uh, and we were wait, we were sitting on it and that's when, um, when Parkland happened as well. Yeah. Uh, and finally, um, finally my manager was like, Let, let's show this, let's get UTA involved. And I'm glad that UTA wasn't completely daunted by it either. They were, they were like, had a healthy bit of like, Oh, this is a little scary. But they also um, were behind it enough to to get it out there. So yeah, props to them. That's great. I was yeah. By the way, I was a block and a half away from that Las Vegas shooting. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it, it happened, it's, it's my birthday, October first. Oh, and holy my, moly! And my wife and I were in Vegas, and uh, we had just come out of the Penn and Teller show, oh. which is sort of kind of funny and ironic because you know they're very libertarian and. Yeah. Part of their show is like, you know, we love the, uh, the uh, Bill of Rights and everything. And they have like Second Amendment stuff in their act, which is great. And but we walked outside and that was happening. And oh, uh, holy moly, most people didn't stop doing what they're doing, by the way. They just were still at the slots. Still. Yeah. Still playing. Oh, uh, that is that's freaky. Yeah, it, it was. Freaky. <laughs> yeah. And interesting enough. um, it was a great example of how misinformation travels in real time mm. because we were 
watching it on the TV and it was just, you know, again, like a block away. And all of a sudden people were whispering. There was like, there's two shooters. There's one on the strip right now. Then it was like bombs went off. And I I was like, oh man, Armageddon, Armageddon's happening. When, uh, when UTA got behind it, did you go through, did you go through any other producers besides Bonfire? How did you get hooked up with, with them? It was actually, it was pretty quick. Um, I want to say my agent's like, Hey, we're going to start getting it out there. And then three days later, he's like, really want you to get on the phone with this guy named uh, Dallas. Uh, he's, he did bone Tomahawk and brawl and cell block nine. And I was like, Oh yeah, sounds great. And uh, I think Dallas and I had a 30, 30 or 40 minute phone call. That was just really good. Right. Right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked his energy and he just said so many magical things. He was like, if you choose me to produce this, I'm going to make this movie. We're going to make this. And that, that was a concern of mine is that it would just be scooped up and just sit on a shelf somewhere, which mm-hmm. is usually what happens. Right. Um, and there was a young executive um, at a major studio who really liked it and was really pushing. But after my call with Dallas, I called my agent. And I said, yeah, let, let's go with Dallas. He said, well, hold on. Cause we think the studio is going to make an offer. Um, and just to get into the nuts and bolts of it, I was like, well, how, how much is the offer? Because if, if it's, I said, if the offer is like 250000 great, because then I can like pay off my house and put my kids through college. <laughs> right, sure, yeah. I said, but if it's, he's like, no, 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 the offer is going to be like 80 grand. I'm like, oh. I'm like, that's not, that's not worth it to me to sell it to some studio and not make the movie, if that right. makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, it makes 100% um, sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, and he's like, yeah. I said, do you believe that Dallas will get this done? He's like, yeah, I do. He's like, well, let, yeah, let's, let's do that. So, yeah, that was, um, that was the right pick. Yeah, and Dallas's whole backstory, which uh, you probably spoke to him about, with his parents both being uh, victims of gun violence, yeah. and I liked on the phone. He said, "You'd think I'd be the worst person to produ- produce this movie, but I'm actually think that makes me the best person to do this. I have a healthy respect for all of this." Uh, and then he also said, "He's like, if you go with me, I also have no notes on the script. We're just going to shoot your script." And I was like, "Wow, great!" So, that's um, great. yeah, he gives a lot of and you know floated the idea mm-hmm. of like a of having final cut and that kind of stuff. So I was like, are you kidding me? It just sounded pretty. Yeah. It sounds like a dream job or a dream gig. Um, It sounded like the era of movies I like, which is the 1970s. He was almost proposing a kind of, that's kind of the way filmmakers were treated and they were given the keys to the kingdom in the seventies like that, like final cut, not a lot of notes, not a lot of interference. So that was very attractive. Yeah. It's almost like we're, we're heading back to that in a interesting way of like, cause that, that happened because the studios just completely fell apart. Cause I'm, you know, yeah. I'm sure you remember. And, but, but now the studios are so strong that it almost seems like the same thing is going to happen, which is like, there's going to have to be some rebels who make interesting movies about people again. Yeah. Cause not everything can be a superhero movie, right? That is, I, I hope to God not. Yeah. What are some of your uh, favorite 70s movies? Because, I mean, that, that, that era is so, so packed with amazing films and amazing filmmakers. Oh, my gosh. It really is, yeah. I just watched The Wild Bunch again last night. I love that movie, Sam Peckinpah. Yeah. Um, you know, Five Easy Pieces, Deliverance. Um, um, it might be, what, is it 1980 or... Actually, it might even begin going into the 80s, but First Blood, the original Rambo, I just think is an awesome movie. 
Uh, five I easy love, pieces. I love, yeah. I, by the way, I love a lot of the movies on your background there too. Oh, thanks. This is for a, a other podcast that I do where we watch. Uh, and if you got a good one, you're more than inv- uh, invited to come on. But we talk about movies we watched as kids that we shouldn't have. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So there's like Die Hard yeah. and uh, Sheena. Not a good. Not a good picture. <laughs> Silence of the Lambs is. Yeah, that's cool. That'll mess you up as a kid. Yeah, I mean, like, to go back to those filmmakers of the 70s, you know, it's, like, hard to imagine, like, how, how would Robert Altman come up in this system today, you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, would we have, like, a, yeah. like, an Alt, uh, like, an Altman's Avengers where they're all kind of mumbling and they're all in the background and <laughs> stuff like that? I mean, can I just feel, I guess, my, I guess my question is, and why I like your film is, like, I don't see a lot of true chances being taken in movies. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's just like, oh man, it's from everything from cinematography to editing. It fe- everything feels safe. And it's like, well, we know this works doing it this way. Yeah. Whereas, you know, um, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, like my favorite movie of all time. Yes. yes. Imagine uh, you could, I mean, it's film, so it's different, but I don't know what the equivalent would be, but like the flashing of the, the film yes. would give everyone a panic today. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it gave a panic then, but, you know, yes. maybe, it's, maybe it's the the weed or the quaaludes they were on. But yes. uh, they were like, yeah, let's do it. Screw it. <laughs> That's such an awesome movie. It's I love that bit. Of, there's a bit of trivia about that movie where actually Kubrick saw it and called. Mm-hmm. Called Altman or called his DP and said, you know, what lenses did you guys use? Because it looked amazing. And yeah. he ended up using those. Didn't he use those very low light, huge lenses to do um, to do one of his films? Um, Barry Lyndon. Yeah, Barry Lyndon. Yeah. Another another masterpiece. Yeah, yeah he yeah. used he used the ones that um, I think they used for NASA. Yes. Because it's super it low yeah. light and he just wanted to yeah. shoot everything candlelit. Yes, that's amazing. Holy shit. <laughs> That's so awesome. I think you're so right. I don't, there are no chances, you know, they're not going to, but if Marvel called me tomorrow and offered me one of their, you know, their properties where I just don't think I'd care enough to do it. I just, mm-hmm. I'm amazed that, um, how would Altman come up right now? Because where are, where are all the unique voices doing original stuff? I think yeah. the, I think the thing about the seventies, guys was like all their backgrounds were so weird and you know i mean all yes. was directing you know to go back to him i mean he was directing like industrial films for 20 years i mean he was like yeah. he was like 89 years old when he finally got mash <laughs> you know <laughs> i do think you're completely right because that's funny because someone asked me recently like what advice would you give to young screenwriters or directors and i would be like go live a life like go yeah. screw go go screw up all through your twenties and thirties, and then like oh, and at yeah. least that's that was my trajectory, just to be a complete mess and screw up lots of things, throw away lots of opportunities because I was just in you know was selfish or weird about them or whatever you know, mm-hmm. and then like I had to come back around. But now yeah, you talk to yeah even I, I find that with actors all the time i gave my i gave my cast on run hide fight a list of some of my favorite movies and mm-hmm. they hadn't seen like 90 percent of them so oh, so that's that's really heartbreaking because that's like yeah. i mean it's like i do i don't want to just be like you know the guy with the gray beard being like this younger generation but it's like <laughs> they don't know anything 
that they don't know anything that came before them, which is odd because when I was a kid, I knew everything that came before me. I, I, I yeah. couldn't care less about it. I've never seen, I don't think to this day, I don't even think I've seen like 16 candles or something. I'm like, I don't care. I want to watch like, <laughs> you know, uh, like you said, Rambo or something. Yeah. What movies were you giving them? Uh, all the ones that we just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what um, did they, did any of them come back and they were like, what did I just watch? Oh, they loved it. Yeah. Uh, the response, here, I'm going to close the door here. The response was awesome. Um, I remember shooting in the ravine with Isabel, uh, where she was going to shoot uh, Tristan and then kind of maybe leave him for dead. You weren't sure, but she, that morning she came, she's like, I just, I just finished deliverance. And it was like 11 AM. I'm like, that's, I'm like, what'd you think? She's like, it's awesome. And then, and that, <laughs> that made her, she's like, did you know that Burt Reynolds was like the number one box? I'm like, yeah. You know, so we talked all about that and it was just, it was cool to see, um, or Kip, the guy, the, uh, the, um, the kid who plays Kip, you know, the, and they have that long scene in the, mm-hmm in the theater in the middle of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he watched, I remember he came in just really sparked to a dog day afternoon. He just loved it. And I yeah. was like, yes. Yeah. And he's like, there's a lot uh, in this movie from that movie. I'm like, yeah, yes. There is. <laughs> so he, got, he, he, I, he got that. I'm like, I love that movie. And it was a, definitely an inspiration. So. Oh, good. Um, I mean, yeah, you're doing, you're doing a great job then. Like, let's keep, yeah. let's keep want, having them watch these movies. Exactly. Yeah. Like you said, we don't like, we, to be old guys, you know, shaking our cane at the sky. But also, I'm like, man, how, how can you be an actor, but you're only going to watch stuff from the, two, the 2000s? Or no, don't. Mm-hmm. You, you got to go back and watch. You got to watch five easy pieces and be like, wow, that is acting. Like, that's, you know, you got to go back and watch some of these. They used to make character pieces that were just cautionary tales. Like, hey, by the way, don't live your life like this. They don't do those anymore. <laughs> Yeah, like Scarecrow, movies like that. Yes, like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, movie, that movie Scarecrow that has... I was just talking about that movie to my wife recently because there's that one scene where toward the end, that one... Don't you love it when a random person can come in and do one scene in a movie? This would be an interesting like podcast thing. People that stole an entire movie just by coming in and doing one scene. Oh, totally. there's a scene. There's a scene in Scarecrow where his wife gets on the phone and is lying to him, and that mm-hmm. is like... And that put, that made my wife and I research her, and she was like, she owned her own acting school, and she was apparently a acting coach to the greats. They would all mm. come to her and be like, "How should I do that?" I'm like, "Wow, well, that makes sense." She was amazing in yeah. one little part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, just another thing that I feel like we're missing, which is these great actors. I mean, there's rarely movies with um, not attractive people anymore. Yeah, and it's like you're missing out on like the Timothy Carries and I mean like <laughs> like you talk about like Val Avery like I mean one of the best performances ever is yes. uh, if you've seen like Minnie and Moskowitz when she tries when General Rollins oh. tries to go on dates and she goes on a no, date I... with Val Avery and he just <laughs> he's like he's kind of like this portly schlub and she's this beautiful woman and he just has like a meltdown because he can't he does he there's no way that this character thinks he could date this beautiful woman. That's cool. I've never seen that. I need to. Oh yeah, that's a that's a classic. That's Seymour Cassell and uh, Jenna Rollins, and I think it's Cassavetti's, like right in oh. the middle there. Like his, oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's a blind spot for me. I'd like to see that. Um, or like, uh, or like, like who is you know who's Struther Martin nowadays? You know, mm-hmm. I, I love that guy. <laughs> so, but when you were on set, uh, one thing <laughs> I was in, I kept thinking about was, especially with like 
how everyone takes everything so personal or stuff. Just the dealing with young actors in this kind of yeah. um, subject matter. I mean, hopefully none of them had actually gone through it, but they are of the age that it, it affects. Mm-hmm. Um, what was like, how, how did you kind of just, what was your directing style with all of them? How did you kind of, you know, work, their, work them through it? It seems like it'd be heavy stuff. It was definitely heavy. Oddly, they all, um, like I have an older agent at UTA and he said, I was a little scared to get this script out. But when I talked to every younger agent, all the new agents were like, no, this is the world we live in now. People Mm -hmm. won't be scared of this. Uh, Younger people won't be scared of this. And I found that with our young cast. They were like, this is our world. And I actually, Isabel told me, uh, she's like, when I was in school, I used to dream of being the person that would somehow save my whole class you know, that wow. if someone burst in with a gun, I'm like, and, and then turns out a lot of people have had that fantasy. I've heard that a lot from a lot of younger people, yeah, uh, younger men and women. So nice. on the set, even though we were, everyone dealt with it all respectively, but I didn't, I didn't tiptoe around anything and I didn't feel like they did either. Like, mm-hmm. I think everyone thought we were making a really cool action movie with a good themes and a good message that could, you know, maybe be in the theater. We were like, this, I, we thought we were making a very populist bit of entertainment that also was maybe saying something cool about uh, the human condition and about bravery. But I didn't think, I thought I, I was scared about how it would be received before I was on set. Once I was on set, I was like, well, now everyone's signing on to it. It's going to do great. And then mm-hmm. uh, turns out it was still controversial when it came out. <laughs> yeah. But I, but you did do that. I just want to reiterate. I mean, you did make a, that film, you know? Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Thank um, yeah. I mean, we'll get to the reception of it because that's, that's crazy to me how, how people reacted to this. In fact, I'll just, yeah. I'll, I'll just kind of say it because I, not to keep bringing Dallas up, but I did mention it to him of just, no, fine. so you, this movie comes out and you, you get a distribution through the daily wire and the daily wire is whatever, you know, it's a right wing uh, conservative site. Mm-hmm. And so that, so everyone, it felt like when they were re- reviewing it, we're reviewing the Daily Wire and not your movie. Yeah, yeah. And what I, f- what I find most puzzling is I think if you just took your movie just, you know, on paper and described it to somebody, you have a female lead yes. who is strong, you know, yes. who's taking matters into her own hand. Yeah. There's a great sub romantic subplot. Yes. With, between, uh, the, that's interracial. And that, and that kid, I, 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 don't, I don't have his name uh, up, but I mean, Ollie, he's, he's, yeah. he's great in this. He's great. Um, uh, you have your, your, uh, your shooters. One is named, the main guy's named Tristan. Yeah. I mean, you can't get more kind of, uh, I don't know, no offense if where he got the name, but it's like, that's the most cis white male name I can think of. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Thomas Jane is in the movie and he's great in it. And there's a moment, uh, not to spoil anything, but he sort of steps in yeah. with a gun. But it's not treated like everybody was just like, woo, you know, no. which would be like a pro gunway. The next time we see him, he's in a cop car. Like he's going to, there's re- repercussions for what he did. Yeah. Or at least it's going to have to be kind of figured out. Yeah. Sounds like a very progressive kind of movie on paper. I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny uh, because 
before the Daily Wire got involved, we premiered in in Italy, and we were on the beach, and we we're like popping champagne because we just had our premiere, and it seemed to go well. The audience in the theater seemed to really like it in Venice, and then um, you know there was a, like a slap on my back, and my agent was there. That's you know I've never had an agent go anywhere, so I was like, that's cool that he's here. Yeah, and he's like oh, hey, by the way, don't read the reviews. I'm like, what? Because like five major reviews had just come out at midnight and uh, they were all trashing us. And I'm like, wow, like Hollywood Report of a variety. They were all, and I'm like, oh, they're trashing? I was just surprised they were trashing it because I just think objectively it's a fine movie. And and he was like, well, they're reviewing, what did he say? He's like, they're reviewing the very fact that you dared to make a cool shooting movie. They're not even reviewing the movie. Gee, and uh, I wonder. I wonder why we don't have a lot of filmmakers make taking chances. Exactly. <laughs> so, so this is so it's kind of funny. Like, that's how sad. That's the sad state of affairs before the Daily Wire got involved. You know, mm-hmm. and then the Daily Wire got involved, and I think you're right. Then people start reviewing it now for what they thought of the Daily Wire. So, yeah. Um, um, how do you take that as a filmmaker? I mean, how does that sort of affect you, or does it at all? Or do you are you able to just sort of brush it off? You know, I used to, and now that I'm in, now that I'm in my late forties, it's funny. I decided on this movie. He actually said, my agent said, "Hey, my suggestion is don't read any reviews." To this day, I've re- I've read no reviews of the movie. <laughs> so oh, good. Great. Yeah, and I, I'm much happier because I've actually, I think, the, and it's a testament to the reach of the Daily Wire. But I've received more random like Instagram things and Twitter things of people just messaging me to say how much they loved it than any other thing I've ever made. So that's been fun. So mm-hmm. I haven't read any reviews and I've just been hearing from fans who love the movie. So that's great. Um, not to get, I'll just paraphrase, but in a review of your movie for the IndieWire, I think the guy, I mean, it was very personal and it was unprofessional in a lot of ways, but yeah. he was, he was saying like you, um, you're making this movie about a serious subject, but you're not talking about the underlying reasons and stuff like that. And then the next paragraph, he talks about all the underlying reasons that the characters have, and he just dismissed them. (laughs) Well, that's great because I did a ton of research and actually gave the top five, you know, gave the top four reasons to all of those. That's what helped me make the character. So that's idiotic. So, it, it is. Yeah. And, and actually, yeah. I, if you don't mind, you can stop me. But I do want to read one sentence because I, I kind of want to put this guy on blast just a little bit. And I think sure. he's the editor of IndieWire. And it's just about uh, the character that you talked about yeah. earlier that's in the theater and Isabel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's talking to, and she's kind of getting why he's doing this, right? The second character is a trigger-happy mouth breather. Sounds a little like fat shaming but we'll go through that, Um, who was roped into the scheme because someone pulled his bathing suit down at a swim party in fifth grade. That's the reviewer poo-pooing that as a reason to do, for the character to do what he did. Right. But in some (laughs) some circles, that would be sexual assault. I mean, some, you know what I mean? Like that, everyone's trauma is everyone's trauma. Right. Yeah. And aren't that what we learn? Isn't that what we're learning? I mean, it's just, right. <laughs> it just seems like to, th- to throw, because I've seen IndieWire write other reviews that will praise the exact opposite of what yeah. you did. Right. And it's like, it's weird to throw away all val- values you have and convictions to try and win an argument that you're not having with anybody. You're just writing a movie <laughs> reveal. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
But it's uh, all this opinion journal. It's this all this crazy opinion journalism lately, where it's like I don't care what you. I don't know. Maybe do, and I just hate. Um, my wife would say like, you know, she she would read the reviews and be like, oh, and uh, and not tell me much about them, but she would say like, these people haven't even like your cast or like young people. So they, they haven't seen anything. So mm-hmm. like, you know, they they didn't seem to be. She thought they weren't able to even make to allude to, you know, the movies that you and I were just discussing, which is sad. So yeah, the state of, I think the state of the state of film criticism is horrible. is just embarrassing. It's real bad. It's real bad. Yeah. I can think of, uh, only a couple people that I read that I trust. Yeah. And, and they're not, they're not very popular by the way. I mean, or they're not, they don't have that big of a reach. Right. And I, and I think the most egregious, Example is, uh, I've harped on this guy on so many episodes of different things, but Richard Brody of The New Yorker, yeah, yeah. who has lost his mind <laughs> over the last four years, who I used to like. I have, I have two copies of the same book he wrote about Godard yeah. on my shelf. Yeah. And I think he tweeted last year, I know he tweeted, um, he said, uh, I'm, I'm against nudity in movies. It's just for pure titillation. And I thought, what's wrong with titillation? Like, what's, what are we doing here? What's going on? And then this past Halloween, he wrote uh, something like a guide to five horror movies that don't have any gore. And then he was, he went on about how gore shouldn't be in movies. And I was like, what's next? Bad words? Like, what are we, what's going on? You're the, you're the film critic at the New Yorker. And the puritanical, like, yeah, uh, it's just, it's pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. But I feel like the people like you, like the next, the the next thing to do is just lean in and just keep giving people yes. the yeah. entertainment. I mean, yeah, um, it's so scary to live out here because I feel a lot. I feel the palpable like, don't want to say the wrong thing. Don't, and, yeah. it, and it becomes I don't want to make the wrong thing. And it's like well, this is a big country, you know. It's like a lot of people. <laughs> Totally. Exactly. And I think that's a fine way to look at it. Like, um, yeah, I was thinking to myself, Oh, maybe, uh, maybe I'll only be, maybe I'll be relegated to only being a filmmaker for the massive silent majority. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a, not a, not a bad place to push your chips in. Let me tell exactly. you. Exactly. Well, like, uh, and you probably know and like this guy too, but I love this comedian, Tim Dillon. I just think he's uh, doing it so right. And, he's, uh, he's so great. So I want to be the Tim Dillon of, of filmmakers right now. I just love that guy. My instincts say that Tim could be a fine actor too. Uh, yeah. I mean, oh, good comedians are always good actors. Yeah. Like Richard yeah. Pryor was great in like blue collar and all these movies. Uh, yeah. Jojo dancer is great in that Carlin yeah. could act. George Carlin was good. Like a good comedian because a good comedian's yeah. honest. And that's all you yep. need to do is to be an actor. Uh, speaking of good actors, I'd love to just talk about Isabel May for a minute. Yeah, I think you, I think you found a, a future star. I mean, I she's too. she's yeah. terrific. Yeah. How did um, you? Uh, where'd you guys find her? I was um, David Guglaimo, uh, who uh, is awesome casting director, and he works mm-hmm. a lot with Dallas. He's in part of Dallas's new company. Mm-hmm. Um, he just brought in some great people. It took a while. It took a enough time to, I don't, maybe David wasn't worried, but I was getting nervous about finding Eli Brown who played Tristan and I was getting nervous about finding 
uh, Isabel May. I was getting ner- nervous about uh, my my villain and my hero, basically. Mm-hmm. And toward the when the clock was kind of ticking toward the end on both is when they both came in. Eli sent in a self tape. Actually, they both sent in self tapes, and I was like, "Ooh, these are very promising." And uh, and David thought so too. Uh, and then they both came in and did readings. I remember. Eli Brown, who played Tristan, was up in Oregon, and he's like, "I'll fly down tomorrow." And he did <laughs> just to come in and uh, and do it again. So he he cared a lot, uh, and I think also the movie is only as good as its villain. And I thought he did a great job. He's so, yeah, he's terrific in it. Because um, everyone was doing this kind of I don't know. Everyone was doing like a really bad Joker um, um, thing, uh, but he wasn't. And then Isabel May is just so good. Um, just fantastic. I mean, uh, I do think she could go on and be, be a huge star as well. And it was so great. Cause we didn't, we were saying toward the end, we were saying almost half sentences to each other, like, and eh, maybe a bit more. Yeah. I think I'll yeah, hmm, do it. Yeah. You know, and it was just, you know, it was so easy and exciting. It's exciting to work with great actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause they, cause they bring so much and you can kind of push and pull and mold it a bit. Rather than it's hard, it is challenging as a director to you can work with someone with no experience, but sometimes there's a building up process, and sometimes you don't have time for it. But it's really exciting when you're, yeah, when you just have a bunch of thoroughbreds, you're like, wow, all these people can reach reach racing speed, and that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone everyone does a terrific job, and is that like sort of yeah. the biggest cast that you've worked with in terms of like this is like almost an ensemble piece, but you have Isabel in the, in the middle who's, yeah you know, truly carrying it. Yeah. She really does carry the thing. That's another thing. I'm like, with all of the BS reviews, I'm like, man, don't take away these kids shots because they're so good. She is so good. She could go headline some major studio picture. Uh, Eli uh, who played Tristan is on a, on a series right now and he's shooting in New York. So good for him. Um, And Cyrus who was Kip, is up in uh he's shooting a movie up in toronto and mm-hmm. then he's going to be part of another uh series so he's a lot of them a lot of the really good ones are doing fine right now but um when i hear those bad reviews i just get pissed more for them because i think they could all of them could go on and be doing awesome things ollie uh who played lewis i think is so he's that likable in person too i mm-hmm. mean like, that guy should he should be going and doing something awesome so. Yeah, that's that's how you know that they weren't really reviewing the movie. Right? Yes, that they were reviewing politics because it's a complete blind spot to them. I mean, yes. the, the few that I looked at, none of them mention how good these kids are in the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a real it's a real shame. I mean, I feel like we've touched on it a little bit, but one of the things I've been asking filmmakers on this podcast is just where where does the future of cinema lie? Like how how do we steer it back in a way to those sort of freewheeling 70s again where people are taking chances where where it's not about the ideology and and the agendas and i mean we all want to see diverse stories anybody who enjoys movies wants to see diverse stories right but we don't i don't i don't need politics into it at all times i mean shampoo is a very political movie but right i'm definitely not looking at it like oh let's see what they were thinking about and you like it's it's much more than that it's a real tapestry of Los Angeles in a time and place. And I'd love for someone to make like another, a new, a modern airplane and just rip, rip the ass out of all of this precious stuff. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> someone would do that. I just don't, maybe it'll be Dallas too. I do think Dallas is on an exciting trajectory because he's like, 
it's I'm excited by a trajectory, and then it's sad too because I'm like I don't want the country to break in two. Right, sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, I love Dallas's attitude of like I'm going to lean into possibly offending people, and I'm going to give filmmakers uh, the keys to the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Amanda Pressmick, uh, his kind of right hand uh, producer, is awesome too. Mm-hmm. So um, she's wonderful, and I think I think they are going to make some awesome movies. I wish other people would get into that um yeah i mean they've already business. they've already made a bunch of awesome movies i mean yeah yours is great and and the three that uh s craig zoller made i mean yes. three masterpieces and it's like agreed. I, there's a moment in the movie that's like a setup for like a little subplot involving a new mother and yes and it goes south and i had to pause the movie and walk around the block for 15 minutes because it was yes. just so well done it was, and the setup took so. With the, I just, I immediately think of them talking through that closed door. Like, yeah, hey, you can do. It. I'm like, oh, I don't even I like to think about it. I don't even like to talk about it. <laughs> it's like, I'm not even sure I'll ever watch the movie again. It's like on my list of, uh, like, Requiem for a Dream. I got that at the library during the day. Oh. <laughs> yes. I sat down. I put it in the VCR. I watched it. When it was over, I stood up. I ejected it from the VCR. I drove back to the library. And I put it down and I was like, I don't ever want to watch this movie again. <laughs> yeah. But you're glad, you know, you're, yeah, it's great. It's, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a masterpiece, but no, thanks. I completely agree. That'd be a fun list too. You, you should come up with your list of, yeah, the one, you know, Schindler's list effectively like that too. Sure, like, yeah. Oh my gosh. And then I don't know if I'll ever see that again. Maybe. Um, <laughs> I mean, I felt that way even about bone Tomahawk when it got to that final, one of those final deaths, I was like, yeah. Oh, I've just never seen anything like it. And it freaked me out. Like, yeah. Uh, to watch a movie as a filmmaker that really still grabs you. We got to make more movies that really are kicking people in the crotch. We're not doing that enough. So. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I mean, that's what makes a movie great. Right. Is yeah. like those memorable things. I mean, I can't, there's very few movies I can remember that are memorable. It's like, what was yes. that thing? You know, <laughs> like watching, uh, I know people are not high on them now, but what would like when I watched upstream color in the theater yeah, yeah, and just right. being washed over that by that movie and being like, this, yes. this is the work of someone who probably could also go to therapy. I mean, it just seems like <laughs> this yes. guy's got a lot of thoughts in his head, but uh, yeah. I was just thinking about, you know, or we're, you know, foreign films, you know, like eight and a half is one of my favorites. And that oh, sure, is, yeah. I love the movie. We don't even make movies where that allow the lead characters to misbehave anymore, you know? Or yeah. Like, I would notice like when I would leave a movie theater with friends that they would say like, I didn't like that the lead character did X. And it was like, well, because you wouldn't do that in real life, but you're not in this movie, you know? It's yes. like, I, I think it was like the master was like the big one of people just. Being oh like, yeah. Why would, why would they, why would the character do this or that? And it's like that. Yes. You just you just watched an amazing movie and didn't even get it. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah, that one scene, the scene of them across the table from each other. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at There Will Be Blood. I mean, that guy is diabolical, but fascinating. Yes, like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, what movie, what movie came out in 2020 that was even... What was your favorite movie of 2020? I don't think I had one. No, I like a lot of what. Um, did you see that Costner one uh, where he's they're trying to go get their grandson? No, it's Costner, Costner and Diane Lane. 
Um, I like a lot of that. Uh, Let him go. Is it called? Something like that. I don't even. I don't think I've even. uh... But I feel like Costner's out there, kind of also trying to make the movies that you and I are talking about, like because movies that still have some some chutzpah in them, you know. Yeah, he's a guy who should probably get Dallas's email. Don't you think? I think exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Costner should do a should do a Zoller movie. There's a lot of those guys that should just they should call Dallas and they should do a Zoller movie. What are you What are you working on next? Um, actually, and that's helping me not read reviews, but I, I'm almost done with a another script. Um, and I pitched it. I was just I pitched it to Dallas, and he was like, "I want to buy that." So I'm I'm gonna hand it to him once I'm done. And it's the same kind of thing, like a interest, you know, a thriller. An action thriller with a cool message, I think. So that'll, of course, uh, probably piss people off, but fine. So. But uh, no, that's what you got to do. I mean, I'd, yeah, I say, I say, piss them off all the more. Yes, my gosh. Again, in my quest to be the Tim Dillon of filmmakers, but <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm not even close, but I do love that guy. He's great. He just, I mean, he, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he just reminds me to always to not back down. I'm like, yes keep going yeah i mean i when when you were like what was your favorite movie i just kept thinking of like my favorite things now are things i'll i'll just pay the person five dollars a month and it's like yeah. tim dylan's patreon brett easton ellison's ellis's patreon yes, I like, yeah there's just like individuals who are just gonna carve yeah. their own way and it's like i feel like i gotta support them more than i gotta give uh paramount plus money or or whoever <laughs> you know yes and there might be a crossover there because Tim Dillon just said that he's trying to, he might have Brent Easton Ellis on. They might do a one together. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Well, that'd that'd yeah. be a good one. Yeah. Um, I Thanks so much for uh, yeah. coming on here and, and chatting about your movie and congratulations again. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Thanks for watching. Thanks for, uh, yeah, thanks for wanting to talk about it. And I, I do have one more question. And maybe yes, t- answer as long as you want. It's a controversial question. It could yeah. uh, could definitely get you canceled. All right. What's your favorite Scorsese movie? <laughs> um, I think I'm, I'd be Team Taxi Driver, I think. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. Imagine trying to get that made today. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's not cool, man. We, there should be a lot more of that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I agree, man. Yeah. All right, Kyle. Thanks so much, man. Uh, Thank you, Mike. Yeah. All right. Have a good uh, rest of your week. Hey, you as well. All right. Stay in touch.